Remembrance Day observances in B.C. and across the country. The somber, respectful effort to keep important memories alive. Personal stories of bravery. And I've seen a lot of uh, uh, men whose ships were sunk under them. A sailor shares his experience at sea and why he thinks COVID-19 requires an equal warlike effort. And soaring into history. And I feel it's time to leave on a high note. The last flight of the Fraser Blues. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off today. The pandemic kept crowds much smaller than normal, but the Remembrance Day ceremony at Victory Square in Vancouver remained a powerful tribute to the sacrifices of Canada's soldiers. Imadagahi has a look at the personal and emotional stories shared by those who attended. Remembrance of him is something that is, um, hasn't gotten easier, it's only gotten harder. 13 years and counting, and this is where you'll find Marcus McNeely on Remembrance Day. A tradition starting when he was old enough to truly appreciate the sacrifice of Canadian veterans like his grandfather, Arthur Leggett, who even after passing has been with him at every ceremony. At Vancouver's Victory Square Thursday morning, the commemoration was modified in size due to the pandemic. But unlike the usual crowds, what was not diminished was the significance. I am proud that people still remember me. Once a prisoner of war, a Dieppe veteran, and 101 years old, Paul Victor Delorme was one of the first and few invited to participate in the scaled-down ceremony. His grandson flew in from Saskatchewan to be here. As soon as he found out he was coming, he, he sent me an email and asked me if I would come and help him to uh, go to the Sadataf to um, lay the rose. So, of course, I dropped everything. I can't say no to him. While others sat alone, watching with heavy hearts. I was in Korea, okay, and uh, I had a lot of friends there who are still there. Along with the absence of a parade and large crowds, what was also missing at this year's ceremony was a familiar voice after the passing of longtime director of ceremonies, Cam Cathcart. He was taken from us too soon. Gone, but not forgotten. God rest his soul. It is my honor to follow in his footsteps. Even at this juncture of our history, a time during which the events of the past have never been looked at with a sharper, more critical focus, it is clear these sacrifices will never be lost or forgotten. Definitely a lot of things that are not perfect about Canada. Um, the Indigenous people here um, have been treated so horribly, but I think I'd like to appreciate how we are able to be here and acknowledge that and work forward. Emadagahi, Global News. Crowds returned to the National Remembrance Day ceremony this morning in Ottawa. There was a huge turnout for the largest Remembrance Day ceremony in the country, 
as the public was invited to once again join veterans and service military me- or servicing military members after last year's service was held virtually. Spectators were asked to practice physical distancing and wear a mask during the ceremony. I'm thinking about the men and women of Canada who served in uh, First World War, Second World War, Korean War, Afghanistan, those who sacrificed themselves to ensure that we could continue doing the things, uh, living the way we are today. I feel for the families. I feel for the families of of, of veterans who served, Uh, particularly those who who didn't come back and also those who came back and and are suffering. Due to the discovery of a suspicious package, the arrival of the Governor General, the Silver Cross Mother, and the Prime Minister was delayed by about 15 minutes before the all-clear was given. Now, while many of us are familiar with the air and land battles of the Second World War, there is an equally important and dangerous contribution that's often overlooked, the mission of the Merchant Navy. Nitu Garcha now with the remarkable story of one Surrey man who says we are all fighting a very different war today. That is me at, uh, when I was uh, 18 years old when I decided to join the Navy. That was in 1941, but now 98-year-old Merchant Navy veteran Percival James Smith, who goes by Percy, says he remembers like it was yesterday. I've seen a lot of ships being sunk, I've seen a lot of people die, I've seen a lot of uh, things that I should not have been seeing as a young man. But now when I look back, uh, uh, somebody had to pay the price. By the time a torpedo strikes or hits a ship, to the time it sinks, it's less than 20 minutes. And as he captured on his own camera, conditions at sea were already treacherous. England had to be supplied with a lot of food, with a lot of armaments, with a lot of war supplies. And all these were carried on the merchant ships. If we didn't do that, Britain would have starved. Percy, who was born in what is now Sri Lanka and trained in Bombay, says he's proud of his service until the end of the war, moving to Canada in 1952, getting a university education and having four kids. But as he stands at remembrance ceremonies like this one in Vancouver, he reflects on those who never got the chance to do the same. People that I knew, that I lived with and I ate with and I drank with, who never had the chance of coming back home. Percy says his duty to serve continues through extensive community volunteerism dedicated to improving the lives of veterans and their children. I'm proud of my dad, you know, what he's been through and all the stories he's telling us. How often do you look back at these photos? I look at them very often. Occasionally there'll be something that'll be that, that I hadn't heard before, you know, some new nugget of information. And now in the present day battle against the novel coronavirus. I would compare this as another war. He's sharing his stories and his own message. We all have to pull together. And that's my message to everybody. Nitu Garcha, Global News, Vancouver. The city of Delta is working hard to identify those who went to fight for their country. The city tweeted out this photo from 1940 of the very first men to enlist for service in the Second World War. Not everyone in this image has been identified, so take a good look. If you can help identify anyone, you're being asked to contact the Delta Archives. Now, this Remembrance Day is also focusing attention on Canadian soldiers 
drawn into a life-and-death battle they were not expecting. Global's Kylie Stanton spoke to a former peacekeeper deployed to the former Yugoslavia and what he remembers about the nearly forgotten Battle of Medak. Their job is to maintain security, protect human rights and help restore the rule of law. But despite the title, there's always a threat. Peacekeeping really is just no different than soldiering, in my opinion. You're just wearing a different hat. In September of 1993, Tony Spies learned that firsthand. He was at the end of his tour as a machine gunner in former Yugoslavia when his battalion was moved south. The mission? To enforce a ceasefire between Croatian and Serbian forces in the Medak pocket. But things quickly took a turn. The Croatians hit us around supper time and they hit us really hard. All we had was what we carried into battle with us. Yeah, and I guess, you know, business is business. While heavily outnumbered, the Canadians dug in, returning fire to defend themselves from the attack. Over the next 15 hours, rifle and machine gun fire poured across the lines. They, they were effectively trying to kill us, 100%. But the peacekeepers persevered, driving the Croatian fighters back, only to discover evidence of horrible violence against Serbian villagers, victims of what appeared to be ethnic cleansing by Croatian troops. It was extremely horrific um, to see, but we saved a lot of civilian lives. And um, that's something that I'm very proud of. And rightly so. The Battle of Medak Pocket is now considered the heaviest action Canadian troops have experienced since the Korean War. But for years, nobody knew it even happened. That was the hardest part. Uh, returning home and uh, it was quite impressive how the, the Liberal government made a whole war disappear just like that. Spies doesn't like to speculate why. What he does know is the impact it had on him and his fellow peacekeepers. It damaged a lot of soldiers' morale. It's, it's not that we wanted a parade or anything when we came home, but just a, hey, job well done. It was nearly a decade before the Canadian government officially recognized the battle. In 2002, the battalion was awarded the Commander-in-Chief Unit Commendation, what may be just a plastic pin. But for Spice, it means more than all of his medals combined. It's something that shouldn't be forgotten. All of us were, you know, willing to give our lives. There's no sacrifice greater. There really isn't. Kylie Stanton, Global News. An Afghan war veteran is set to receive a prestigious award in Burnaby this weekend. Stephen Peddle is a retired major in the Canadian Forces, serving as an intelligence officer in two tours of duty in Afghanistan. He'll be officially knighted by the Order of St. George for his efforts in helping his Afghan interpreter, Sangin Abdul-Mateen, and his family immigrate to Canada. That includes Mateen's father, who was a high-ranking Afghan military officer who would likely have been executed had he stayed in the country. So they were on the second last flight out of Afghanistan. They, they got out by the skin of their teeth. And uh, 12 of the 13 successfully uh, made it out of the country, and there's still one back there that we're still actively working on, on, on his immigration to Canada. People like that don't do what they do expecting recognition. They do what they do because it's the right thing to do. I have a medallion. Pedal is an Alberta resident now. This is the medal he'll be receiving at a ceremony in Burnaby on Sunday. 
The Order of St. George is part of a campaign that helps relocate Afghan interpreters and support the mental health of Canadian yeah, veterans who served in uh, Afghanistan. And while most ceremonies today were appropriately somber and respectful, that wasn't the case everywhere. Hey, ladies, take a look at these. Hey, climb up. This is not the f***ing day. I'm fighting for the freedom that our, that our soldiers died for. As you see, anti-vaccine protesters tried to disrupt the Remembrance Day ceremony in Kelowna. That's just one example of shocking behavior today, and we'll have more on that and reaction a little later in the news hour. School boards still wavering about vaccine mandates, even with some schools forced to return to virtual learning where new infections have closed classrooms next on the news hour what a send-off for the fraser blues why the close-knit flying team chose today as the perfect day for its final flight later and in sports how tomorrow's world cup qualifier in edmonton is so special star alfonso davies and the community that helped raise him that's coming up right now though a number of school closures in the southern interior are reigniting the debate over vaccine mandates or for school staff. But as Richard Zussman reports, it might be the latest statistics from the BC Centre for Disease Control that helps decide the issue. When kids across the province go back to school post-Remembrance Day, those at Marjock Elementary in West Kelowna won't be joining them. They had numbers of, of kids and substantial numbers of kids absent from schools to the point where parents were holding kids out. The school added to a growing list of interior schools now on the COVID-19 outbreak list. First, it was King's Christian School in Salmon Arm, then Vernon Christian School in Vernon. Marjock added just a few days ago. This is a big deal here. Uh, you know, we have not had one since day one. Um, I believe it was called Too Late. The outbreak reigniting the debate around vaccine mandates for school staff. In the central Okanagan, they have just started the conversation. It was uh, divulged that in the in-camera meeting for our trustees, they are now directing the superintendent to implement a validation of uh, vaccine status. Provincially, it's a patchwork system. Each school board must vote on a mandate, but before then, they must figure out how many staff are immunized, get a legal opinion, and conduct public consultation. The list growing of those districts opting out of the mandate. Vancouver, Surrey, New Westminster, Chilliwack, and most recently Burnaby and Mission. It is an important consideration about the local epidemiology, what's actually happening in schools in those areas, and, and transmission in the communities in those areas. The latest data shows 5- to 8-year-olds and 9- to 11-year-olds still have the most COVID cases in the province, but cases are leveling off, improving since late September. Mandates still seem to be a bit of a hot potato. More than 10 school boards in high COVID areas either turn down Global News' request for an interview or did not respond. Yes, um, they are very supportive of vaccine mandates in those areas, particularly because of what we are seeing about the impact on schools. And thankfully, younger people don't get as sick with this virus. The BC Teachers Federation and CUPE, the largest unions in the school system, support mandates, but would rather see the province impose a province-wide rule rather than district by district. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria.
All right, we'll bring in Keith Baldry now. Keith, no COVID numbers today, of course, because it's Remembrance Day. But there is a fresh data dump of weekly numbers, which tend to tell a more accurate story. What does it indicate about where COVID is still a growing concern? Yeah, it's a tale of geography, Chris. The Center for Disease Control updates its maps every midweek and again shows what we've been seeing in the case numbers really growing at a much higher clip in terms of cases outside of Metro Vancouver rather than within Metro Vancouver, even though there's still a lot of cases in Metro. Here's the biggest increases of through the week of October 31st and November 6th compared to the week previous. Central Okanagan, Kelowna, where that unfortunate uh, incident with the anti-vaxxers occurred, an increase of 60 in just one week. Salmon Arm, as Richard pointed out, a school there has a serious outbreak, an increase of 34 there. Vernon's numbers are up as well with a school outbreak. Terrace in the northwest, which had low numbers for some time, up 20 in just one week. And Kamloops, again, where there was another unfortunate anti-vax situation, up 11. They still have a high number at 142. So the interior in the north continues to show a bigger increase in numbers. High numbers in Metro Vancouver, but they're starting to come down. And that's probably a reflection of the new health measures in the eastern part of the valley. So first of all... Uh, look at Abbotsford, big numbers in Abbotsford, but a big drop of almost 150 in one week. And so it continues through Surrey, Chilliwack, Maple Ridge, Pitt Meadows and Langley, all posting high case numbers. But the encouraging thing here, folks, is the numbers are starting to decline. Again, a reflection likely of the tougher health measures in the eastern part of the valley. And again, an indication that those health measures seem to be working. So hopefully that trend continues and hopefully the reverse is true in the north of the interior and the numbers start to come down there as well. Really hoping for that to happen, for sure. Thanks very much, Keith. Still ahead, investing with a conscience. Green initiatives might look good on paper, but what happens when you take a closer look? That story coming up. And an Alabama baby who couldn't wait to be born, setting a record in the process. As we head into the holiday shopping season, yes, it's here. Many Canadians are not only concerned about their financial future, but also confused about how the credit system even works. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea has more on the results of a recent survey from Equifax Canada. And Thanks, Chris. The agency which provides credit reports for businesses recently surveyed 1,500 Canadians online. It found... 18 to 34 are more likely to check their credit reports versus those 35 and older. Despite this, younger adults are less likely to have a full understanding of how credit reports and scores actually work. One of the theories is that it may be that people who are that bit older have that bit more experience with the system. So they've had more opportunities with loan applications, potentially mortgages and so on to have exposure to the credit system and to gain that understanding of how the pieces fit together. Now, 78% of those surveyed have checked their credit reports at least once compared to a similar Equifax survey five years ago when 67% said they rarely or never checked their credit reports. Equifax says a good credit score does not mean you'll be approved for a loan. Much more goes into a lender's decision, including your employment status and history and income. Credit bureaus also don't decide whether or not you qualify for a loan. They only provide your credit information to lenders. Another common misconception is that checking your own credit reports will hurt your credit scores. Equifax says that is not true unless you are applying for credit. I think that's where that idea has come from, that anytime your credit file is checked, there might be an effect on scores. There isn't. It's 
only when you're applying for credit. So please don't be worried about having any negative impact on your credit scores when you check your own credit file. It's a really important thing to do. It's important because you want to ensure everything on the credit report is accurate before you apply for a car loan or go through a mortgage approval process. For more details, Equifax Canada's website has an education hub with information on how different activities may affect credit scores and how to request a free copy of your credit report. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters.globalnews.ca. And try not to spend money you don't have, which is advice handed down from generations. Thanks very much, Anne. There's been an explosion of interest in so-called green portfolios, investing in companies that promise to operate in an environmentally and socially ethical way. But before you invest, Anne Gaviola has a warning about so-called greenwashing. Environmentalist Greta Thunberg crashed a COP26 panel on carbon offset on Monday to protest a proposal it was considering. Thunberg said it was greenwashing, a green initiative that looks decidedly less environmentally friendly upon closer inspection. Interest in so-called sustainable funds is growing exponentially. The industry is now worth nearly $44 trillion. But greenwashing can show up in your portfolio if you're not careful. London-based nonprofit Influence Map examined 130 climate-themed funds. Its analysis found more than half were not aligned with the Paris Agreement. One of the most common buzzwords used by those companies is ESG, which stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. But experts caution its meaning is open to interpretation. Financial advisor Tim Nash says ESG is unregulated right now, a wild west. He urges buyers to beware of greenwashing. There is a gap between the marketing materials of what they're claiming on the impact side of things versus what's actually inside that product. If instead they talk about very large billions of dollars that they've spent on changing their supply chain, you know, boring things that you can't make cute pictures of, but that seem large and meaningful. If you're interested in a green or sustainable portfolio, make sure you're clear on what that means to you. People come to me and show me their sort of ethical or responsible fund that they've purchased. And then we look at the companies inside and we see Suncor or ExxonMobil in there. And people are just shocked. A lot of that information can be found in a company or a fund's prospectus, a big legal document that can be tricky to understand and difficult to navigate. And that's where a trusted financial advisor can come in handy. Make sure you focus on a company's policy, track record, and keep track of how they're doing. I think it's going to be really important for investors to hold their feet to the fire to make sure that they're actually following through on those commitments. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. Still ahead, that Remembrance Day disruption. The amazing response from the crowd when anti-vaxxers tried to steal the spotlight from our veterans. And a man who deserves all the respect, how BC's Reg Wise found his purpose after the horror of war as a British commando. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC. That's energy at work. COVID kept the crowd a lot smaller than usual, but several hundred people still gathered at Kelowna's Lakefront Cenotaph for that city's Remembrance Day ceremony.
Due to the pandemic, there was no formal ceremony, but the crowd gathered anyway for a powerful commemoration of the sacrifices of Canada's soldiers. The guys from Afghanistan, well, they gave up a lot. Um, some are still suffering after coming back. Uh, they, they deserve just as much respect as the gentlemen and women who fought in the Second World War, First World War, Korea, Boer War. Um, it's right to do so. They fought for her lives and our lives, and we want to thank them. Many people in the crowd expressed a wish that the pandemic be over to allow for Remembrance Day ceremony crowds to return to normal. Now, the tranquility of that gathering quickly turned to anger when one woman interrupted to publicly criticize COVID-19 health mandates. RCMP confirmed they're now investigating that incident. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, sadly, it wasn't the only example of bad behavior on a day when the vast majority of people agree the focus should be on those who've sacrificed for our country. Just as the Remembrance Day ceremony at Kelowna's City Park concluded, the solemn mood quickly turned to outrage. Hey, ladies, take a look at these. Hey, climb up. This is not the day. Get her out of there. After setting up a microphone, a woman started speaking against ongoing COVID-19 health measures. We are in the midst of World War III. Incensed veterans immediately challenged the woman. What took place there by those protesters is absolutely reprehensible. Uh, completely disgusted by it. I'm working with the uh, RCMP to see if there's anything we can do, whether fines or otherwise, to really send a message to these people that this is not okay. I was quite surprised. Strategically, it's not a good idea for any sort of protest to, to take place on um, Remembrance Day. And if that's what people are choosing, it's pretty shocking because I don't think they're going to win a lot of supporters by doing that. In Cranbrook, fire crews rushed to clean up this defaced memorial before services there got underway. The RCMP say they're investigating the graffiti, which referenced vaccinations. It makes me sick to my stomach. I can't believe we got people like that in Cranbrook. And in Kamloops, as a ceremony took place at the new Cenotaph, anti-vaxxers gathered at the old Cenotaph at Riverside Park. Many unwittingly attended, leading to confusion, anger, and verbal altercations. I just looked at my little girls and I thought, I got to get them out of here. This is... This is an abomination. This is nothing like any Remembrance Day ceremony I've ever been to. Whether in Kamloops, Cranbrook, or Kelowna, the pandemic-related messages were clearly unwanted, upsetting, and incredibly disrespectful. To see what happened today was disgusting, and I was uh, very, very hurt. They had no reason to do that in that ceremony. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Quick program note for you, our 2021 Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series in partnership with Fortis BC continues this weekend. It'll air on Global BC, BC One and CKNW. Our second interview is with outgoing superintendent of Surrey Schools, Jordan Tinney. He speaks to CKNW's Simi Sarah about his definition of leadership and how he guides students through a decision-making process. 
there's a great framework of, um, you know, the gut test, the front page test, and the mum test, right? Like, and we have to run through all those. So things. the gut test is, is, you know, how does it feel? Like, and I would never, I say to people, don't listen to your gut, but pay attention to your gut. Like, if it really doesn't feel right, like, what is it about that feeling? That Tell me more about that. Analyze that, yeah. Analyze that. And the front page test is, okay, if you did this and it appeared on the front page of the news tomorrow, how... How would you feel about that? Are you good with it? Would you be able to back it up? Would you be able to justify it? And the other one is the mom test. You know, would what would your mom say if you made this call? <laughs> so, so that was, those are That's a sneak peek of the interview. It airs this Saturday, November 13th on Global BC at 10 o'clock and on BC One Sunday at 10.30, 11.30 and 2.30. It's got to pass the mom test for sure. In health news, speaking of moms, an Alabama boy has been certified by the Guinness Book of World Records as the most premature baby to survive. Curtis, I love you. Do you remember me? Curtis Zykeith Means was born July 5th, 2020, after just 21 weeks and one day of gestation. That's 132 days premature. Doctors gave Curtis a 1% chance of survival, and in fact, his twin sister died. Curtis spent nine months in neonatal intensive care at the University of Alabama, and now, one year and four months after he was born, Curtis is thriving. He's very active now. At first, you know, he was moving slow, so he's, he could slide down off your lap, stand up like he want to go ahead and take off and start walking. He started to, you know, babble at the mouth. We were all in shock. We were all amazed. We were ready to take on this journey. And we just, we just knew in our heart that this was the smallest baby we've seen, and we were going to see him go home. At birth, Curtis weighed just 420 grams, about the weight of a soccer ball. Glad he's doing well. Still to come, behind enemy lines. At first, it was shock. Um, I was in shock some of the stories he was saying. How a former British commando kept a lot of his wartime experience a secret and how he turned to art to help him heal. And the end of an era for a group of veteran pilots and why this is the perfect day to come in for their final landing. A lot of folks very thankful down at the Cenotaph in Vancouver. It stayed dry for Remembrance Day observances this morning. Yvonne Schell is in for Christie tonight. Let's see what's to come in the forecast now. Yeah, it was a much-needed break that we saw earlier this morning. We've got a wave of rain this evening with very windy conditions, and we still have a rainfall warning that is in effect for a few spots across Metro Vancouver, and I'll show you those in the amounts in just a moment. We've got rain reported at the airport and easterly winds sustained at 20, but gusts right now up to 35 kilometers per hour. We'll see gusts this evening still reaching up to 40 kilometers per hour. A heavier wave of rain has been moving its way in across the eastern areas and stretching into the Fraser Valley, but it is still going to remain unsettled overnight and leading in towards the morning hours with heavier rain across the region. Here's the weather maker that we're tracking and then another one that is going to move in for both days out of the weekend. The rainfall warning along the North Shore Mountains, the northeastern corners, Coquitlam, Maple Ridge and stretching into the Fraser Valley between 40 and up to 50 millimeters by tomorrow morning and then it'll ease off in most areas across Metro Vancouver with a range between 30 and potentially up to 40 millimeters but it's the winds this evening paired with it with gusts closer to 40 kilometers per hour. So as we get in overnight tonight, 
Rain heavy at times. By the morning hours, it should, should ease off with a chance of showers. A bit of a break in between systems for tomorrow. And then that next system, a heads up for the weekend on Saturday. And likely um, even heavier rainfall will be for Sunday and leading in towards Monday. Put the future cast into play and we're looking ahead Sunday, Monday with very wet and windy conditions. So stay tuned. But we're likely going to see that weather maker packing quite the punch along the south coast. Bit of instability overnight tonight along the northern half of the province. Coastal areas could see the risk of thunderstorms. For tomorrow, though, dry conditions across the central interior. The southeastern corners could see a few flurries and then changing over to a chance of showers. Rainfall will ease off for tomorrow morning. Still breezy at times and then we've got a bit of a break in between systems. Saturday and Sunday, it's on and off rainfall, but it's likely Sunday and leading into Monday. That'll be the wettest so far. Tonight's weather window, this is a bright spot captured in Kamloops. So thank you so much, Michaela. Chris? Beautiful shot. Thanks very much, Yvonne. Remembrance Day 2021 marks the end of an era. As Aaron MacArthur reports, it was the last November 11th flight of BC's volunteer precision flying team. Soaring into the gray of a Remembrance Day, the Fraser Blues demonstration team marking its last flight. Uh, it's not far, not far from a tear. It's a very emotional, when I think back of the years. The Fraser Blues launched 21 years ago. George Miller, a former Air Force officer, started the team as a way to keep his formation flying skills sharp. But for the squad of pilots, it grew into something much larger than a hobby. The team often flew as many as 30 air shows a year. At its peak, there were eight Navian aircraft in the group. Pilots would travel up from the US just to be part of the team. That number has gradually been whittled down to six and now four planes. No flight was ever more important than the annual Remembrance Day flypast. People at Cenotaphs across Metro Vancouver could look up and count on the Fraser Blues to be there paying tribute. It's a solemn and important ceremony, but somehow the, the planes flying over with the noise and the intensity pound the feeling of the day into people. Miller just celebrated his 86th birthday. The other team members are advancing in age two. And while George still has his medical clearance to fly, after two decades, now is the perfect time for the team to retire. And these people mean a lot to me, and I feel it's time to leave on a high note rather than at this age advancing to some point where I'm forced to retire. A bittersweet moment for the pilots when the team touched down, but their dedication to remembering those who fought and died for Canada will be appreciated long after the roar of their engines fades away. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well done, Fraser Blues. All right, Squire joins us now with a look ahead to sports. Okay, we'll update you on what's happening with the Canucks. And tomorrow... Alfonso Davies gets the lead Can Canada's national men's soccer team in his hometown of Edmonton. Yeah, it means a lot. I think uh, this is the first time I'm, I'm back playing in front of uh, my family and friends, you know. And this game could go a long way to moving Canada closer to qualifying for next year's World Cup. Wouldn't that be something? Also ahead, after the horror of war as a British commando, a local veteran turns to art, the masterpiece he left behind so we would never forget.
All right, Squires here with uh, sports. Not a great start for the Canucks tonight. Hold on, I'm just hiding my uh, equipment here. Okay, what were you saying? Are you all set? I'm ready now. Oh, not a great start for, no. for you or the Canucks. No, not a good start at all. In fact, after uh, seven straight home games, the Canucks now have a quick three-game road trip. Tonight they're in Colorado, Saturday Vegas, Sunday in Anaheim. And they're facing a Colorado team that is missing its main man in Nathan McKinnon, who was hurt. But the Avalanche did get back star defenseman Kale McCarr in time for this game. Let's see how Brock Besser and the Canucks did in the first period. Well, they let another power play goal in. That's nothing new. Valerie Nakushkin on the rebound after Demko made the initial save, and it's 1-0 for the Avalanche. Demko made a few more good saves, including that one right there. But then Kale McCarr finds Gabriel Landeskog wide open. The Canucks forget about him. He's too good to forget about. So it's 2-0. And then, well, Elias Pettersson is in the giving mood. No, 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 no. Quick shot by Miko Rantanen, and it's 3-0 Colorado after the first period. The Canucks only had three shots in goal in the first period. All right, how about um, the Oilers in Boston? Second period. Zach Hyman with a move and a backhand. And uh, if you're wondering, McDavid had an assist there. 2-2, third period, 3-3 at this point. And it's Cody Ceci to Leon Dreisaitl. He has 12 goals right now, and the Oilers win this one by the score of 5-3. I want to show you this goal, too. Flames and Habs in Montreal, Andrew Mangiapane. Watch him go down to one knee. A lot of players like doing this now. And then just flipping the backhand. Despite that, the Canadians won this game by the score of 4-2. Okay, tomorrow, when Canada plays Costa Rica in World Cup qualifying action, it's going to be cold in Edmonton, around freezing at kickoff. But there will be lots of warmth from what will be a huge crowd to cheer on hometown hero Alfonso Davies. This is a true home game for Alfonso Davies. Canada's brilliant global superstar returning to where it all started 16 years ago. Davies learned the game in Edmonton from age 5 to 14, and this is the first time he's playing a match in Edmonton since he joined the Whitecaps Academy in 2014, and the first time his parents will see him play live since then. It's the first time I'm, I'm back playing in front of uh, my family and friends, you know. Um, I'm just, like like I said, I'm just excited for the occasion. I'm just excited to see you know, the stadium full and uh, just excited to play in front of my hometown. The last time Davies played on Canadian soil, he did this. Davies has Buchanan. Alfonso Davies keeps it himself. Goal! Alfonso Davies, are you kidding me? Imagine what he might do in his hometown with so much on the line for Canada's World Cup hopes. I mean, it's a kid's dream, isn't it? Commonwealth Stadium and 50,000 people here. His family, all his friends. What a moment for a, for a kid and well deserved because he, he shined the spotlight on our sport last year when we didn't have too much to smile about. So he gets his moment and uh, 
I'm hoping he takes it. Selling what could be over 100,000 seats over the two games in frigid Edmonton in mid-November tells you the kind of pull Davies is having on soccer in this country right now. But his impact on the future could be even greater. All these kids playing at the St. Nicholas Soccer Academy, where Davies developed his world-class skills, all want to be just like him. The boys here, they, they all play. Now they're talking about, we used to be Brazil in Argentina. Well, I want to be Brazil. Now they're talking about, well, we're Team Canada. We're going to play as Canada today. You know, and I'm Alfonso. He's going to be, and he's Buchanan. And he's, so when that started to happen, then the, the word's getting out there about this team. We, we're hoping to inspire them. We're hoping to inspire, you know, generations after generation of uh, young footballers in Edmonton and across Canada as well. We have heard Pete Carroll say that Russell Wilson feels good in his comeback from finger surgery. What about the man himself? He has been practicing this week. So far, he looks ready to go for Green Bay this Sunday. Yeah, I feel I feel great. I feel really close. Um, I'm not, not not 100% yet, but I'm pretty dang close. I would say uh, I'm the 90 percentile, if not higher. Um, you know, so I, I feel great. Um, I feel I, I got great conviction uh, about what I'm doing, how I'm doing it. My mindset's better than ever. Uh, ready to roll and uh, we're ready to go. Cam Newton is going back to the Carolina Panthers, whom he quarterbacked from 2011 to 2019, made the Super Bowl with them in 2015, signed the deal for the rest of the season. He had been a free agent after being dropped by the Patriots after the preseason. He's back because quarterback Sam Darnold is out four to six weeks with a shoulder injury. And receiver Odell Beckham Jr., has agreed to sign with the L.A. Rams, a team that was not thought to be in the running for his services, but they certainly fit the bill of a contender which Beckham wants to play for. The Rams are loading up on veterans. They recently picked up star linebacker Vaughn Miller from Denver as well. There you go. Looking pretty good for the Rams. All right, thanks very much, Squire. A former British commando from B.C. and his mission to educate long after his tour of duty ended. That's next. We want to conclude our Remembrance Day coverage reflecting on the work of a veteran who is no longer with us. Cloverdale's Reg Wise served with the British commandos during the Second World War, surviving every mission behind enemy lines. And back at home, he kept the mission going, working tirelessly to pay tribute to Canada's war heroes, including at the age of 94, setting his tribute to canvas. Jay Durant has the story. He named it Mother Canada Mourns for Her Fallen. That's what he called it. It is an incredible painting of the Vimy Ridge Memorial. Janice Gravel's father, Regwise, created this masterpiece three years ago to honour the heroes who fought before him. It was amazing when he unveiled it. Because to him, purple, you know, represents royalty. And those were, you know, all those men to him were royalty. This is a big part of his legacy, paying tribute and telling the stories of sacrifice. Wise was just 17 when he joined the British forces in the Second World War, eager to be part of the raid on Dieppe, but he was a year too young at the time. He would eventually become a sniper in the Royal Marine Commandos. They would go out behind enemy lines with no, hardly any food or water um, and be able to concentrate and get in and find out where the, the Germans were. Long after the war, Wise made his way to Dieppe. He was there in 2017 for the 75th anniversary. He traveled to European countries where he once saw action to honor his fallen friends. And he was there for a commando reunion on the Isle of Wight in 2012. 
Over the years, he made hundreds of crosses to hand out to local students on Remembrance Day. They'd look up at Dad and go, wow. But he went to schools and he talked at schools on just before Remembrance Day, two different schools. And he wanted them not to forget. Wise was the only veteran at a ceremony this August marking the 79th anniversary of Dieppe. It was his last public appearance. Reginald Wise died on October 29th at the age of 97, less than two weeks before Remembrance Day, the time when he would have been sharing stories to keep the memories of Canadian heroes alive. I guess I'll be thinking about Dad laying a wreath, always laid a wreath, and uh, being right beside him when he did it. People don't realize the horror that he went through to protect us all. And that, to me, is what I'm going to remember the most. Jay Durant, Global News. Wise, Percy Smith, proud to share their stories with you here on the News Hour. Before we sign off, quick check of weather before we go from Yvonne. We still have got a wave of rain this evening with windy conditions. A few spots, especially along the North Shore Mountains, could see up to 50 millimeters. Bit of a break through the day for tomorrow and be prepared for some wet weather over the weekend so far. All right, thanks very much, Yvonne. Thank you for watching. And we'll leave you tonight with the sights and sounds of the Remembrance Day ceremony from Victory Square, lest we forget. Good night. Together, you fought alone, you died. This poem is dedicated to all the First Nations soldiers who gave their lives so that we could all enjoy freedom. Please stand.